to save you, I have come to save you. Is this on? Okay, got it this time. All right, well, another opportunity for you guys to not here, preacher. That's not an opportunity. So, it's more of an opportunity for me to get some practice in. So, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here tonight. Um, I've never had the opportunity and privilege to preach two messages in one week. So, I'm excited. This is good. Um, my message on Sunday was three pages long, and this one is four pages long. 
and I have 10 less minutes. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, if you'll take your Bibles and turn over to Psalm chapter 61. Psalm chapter 61. We're going to read the whole psalm. It's a short psalm, only eight verses. We'll use it kind of as a springboard for the message. And uh, you'll, you'll see where, where we'll go with this. It's pretty straightforward. Psalm chapter 61, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, <clears throat> Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life in his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come here tonight to um, worship your name in song and uh, to lift up our voices and, and praise you, Lord. And Father, I just thank you for the time that we can have around your word. And Lord, I pray that um, you would use me tonight, that you'd speak through me, that you would um, help me, Father, to be right with you, Lord, that um, I wouldn't be in your way tonight, that you would speak through me, Lord, I'd only be but a vessel and a mouthpiece for you. I pray that you'd be with the listener tonight, that you'd be with those that are here and open their hearts to your word. And Father, I know that I have nothing to offer anybody tonight, but you do. And your word, it's powerful and sharp, like a two-edged sword. And I pray that it would be what makes a difference tonight. Lord, we love you. We need you. Bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So tonight we're going to do a little bit of a study on praise. I've titled this message, Praises That Keep Promises. And I pulled the title from verse 8. It says, So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. David, the psalmist here, is saying, I'm going to praise you, God, so that I can keep my promises to you. I'm going to praise you, God, so I can keep my commitments to you. And throughout the psalm, he talks about why he feels the need to praise God. He talks about how God has been a shelter for him. How he's been a strong tower from the enemy. Now this is King David we're talking about. If anybody's seen hard times, it's King David. He's been through some rough things. The, the writing of this psalm, some believe, is around the time of Absalom's rebellion. So David has been king for a while now. And Absalom, his own son, is trying to take his kingdom from him, is trying to usurp his authority. He's lost children because of Absalom. He's seen his sons run away. He's seen one of his children murdered by one of his own children. So he's seen some hard times. And so he comes to God and he says, you've been a shelter for me. You've kept me safe, God. You've provided for me. You've met my needs. So I will praise thy name forever. He says, I will praise you because of what you've done for me. David, no doubt, remembers the protection that he had from God as a child. When he was out in, with his flock and 
He was protecting his flock from the lion and the bear. He remembers how God delivered him from the lion and the bear. How he helped him to be tested and true with his sling so that when the time came when he was to fight Goliath, he was able to win. Because he had trust in God that God would deliver him from this enemy. He remembers the times when he would go out and he'd go to war for the children of Israel and, and he would see victory. He remembers the times that he was running from Saul because Saul was trying to kill him because he was jealous of him. He remembers those hard times. And he went through some hard times. I don't know about you. I've never been, nobody has tried to kill me yet. I have not experienced that. I've not experienced war. I've not experienced hard times like David had, but he's found shelter in God. He's found protection and safety in God. And so he's going to praise God's name. It says that David will sing his praises that he may daily perform his vows. David, more than anything, wants to keep his commitments to God. Because God's protected him from so many things. God's done so much good for David that he wants to make sure that he's right with God and that he can keep those promises that he made. As I was reading this passage, just through my devotions, the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, Josh, you've, you've made some commitments to me in the past. Are you going to keep them this time? Or in a couple weeks, are they going to be gone? And that was convicting to me. Just in my devotions. And the Lord said, are you going to keep these commitments? How many times have we come to an altar during a revival service or just during a regular church service and said, God, I'm going to be better about reading my Bible. God, I'm going to be better about praying. I'm going to be better about being a soul winner. I'm going to be better about being in church on time. I'm going to be better about X, Y, Z. We've all made commitments to God that we don't always keep. We hope to keep them. We come to the altar and we show good faith to the Lord. We hope that we can keep these commitments. But then we get up and we walk back to our seats. And before we ever leave the doors, we've forgotten about that commitment we made to the Lord. And so I asked myself, Lord, how can I make this different this time? I want it to be different. I want to be closer to you. I want victory in my life. And I came across this passage. And he said, So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. God says, if you want to keep my commitments to me, you want to keep those commitments, then you need to praise me. Because when you praise me, you're elevating me. You're putting me in the right position. You're exalting me. You're putting me in the right spot in your life. You're lifting me up so that you see me for who you are, for who he is. We're supposed to see God for who he is. And he's high and he's lifted up. He's holy. He's righteous. And we so often get distracted from who God is that it's so easy to say in the moment, I'll read my Bible later. I'll get to prayer later. I'll go out soul winning next week. But then next week comes. 
and we have the same excuses. So tonight, I want to talk very quickly about the topic of praising God. First of all, what is praise? Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines praise as commendation bestowed on a person for his personal virtues or worthy actions, on meritorious actions themselves, or on anything valuable. I'll just stop there because the rest of it gets confusing to me. But that part I understood. So, we're to bestow commendation to God because of the things that he's done, because of his personal virtues. So, because of what God's done for me, I can praise him. Because of who he is, I can praise him. That seems simple enough. So, if I'm going to praise God, I must understand who God is and what God's done. Now, we've already talked about it. God's holy. He's just. He's righteous. He's all these these words that we hear, we know, they're, they're buzzwords, but we never really stop to think about what they mean. But when we do, we start to realize who God is. And so it's easier to praise Him because we know, I'm not perfect. You take a look at your own life and you realize, I'm not holy, but God is. I'm not just, but God is. I have a vengeful heart at times, but God He can have vengeance because he's just. I'm going to do something irrational. He's not. I can trust God because he is holy. He's just and he's righteous. We know these things. So who is God? Well, we talked a little bit about it on Sunday. Number one, God's the creator. In Genesis chapter 1, you see that God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. You go through the rest of chapter 1, and you see that God created everything we have in this world. All the stars in the sky, he hung perfectly in place. Every molecule that holds together atoms is perfectly where it needs to be so that we can exist. And there's all these perfect little chances that just so happen to coincide coincide and it's such a coincidence and we don't know how it happened but God put it there God made it happen we have an intelligent designer the creator he made all these things and so first and foremost God's the creator you go through Genesis 1 and you see how he filled the whole earth and again we talked about this on on Sunday a little bit so I don't feel the need to to belabor it But he created all things. Revelation 4.11, we use this on Sunday as well. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are, they are, they are, and were created. God's not done creating things. There's still life today that he creates. He knows each and every one of us individually. We're part of that. He He continues on creating. He's the creator. It's what he does. It's who he is. And too often, as the creation, we have a tendency to praise the creation over the creator. Well, that doesn't make any sense. We find ourselves praising the creation. We'll praise athletes, businessmen, 
political leaders, philanthropists, celebrities, you name it. But what about praising the God that created us? The God that gave us life. We don't take the time to praise Him. We can praise everything else. We can praise everything else that everybody's done for us. But God, it's just a coincidence. He didn't really help you out of that situation. He didn't really meet your needs. That money you were praying for, God didn't really give that to you. You worked for that. That house over your head, you worked for that. God didn't give it to you. Is that what scripture says? No. We know that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. It's all from God, right? He's given us the ability to do things. He's given us the ability to work so we could have a job, so that we could make money, so that we could have a home, so that we can make an investment in ourselves. God gave us that ability. He created us. And so he deserves our praise. So if you're struggling to praise him, remember that he's your creator. And everything you have in your life is a result of him. Everything good is from him. And unfortunately, not, well, I'm not going to say that because not everything bad is from him. Sometimes we put ourselves in, a, in bad situations. Sometimes we do that. Because God can only do what's best for us. Because he's holy and he's just and he's right. By his nature, he can only do what's best for us. So we can trust in him. He's the creator. I get excited when I think about those things. I get excited when I think about how God created the universe. When he, he created this massive universe, the galaxy, everything outside of it. And then he created me. And he wants fellowship with me. So we need to praise God because, number one, he's our creator. Number two, turn over to Exodus 32. So we have the creation of God. We're, gonna, we're talking tonight, I didn't say this, we're talking about the works of God. Who he is and what his works are. So number one is kind of a two point. It's who he is and what he's done. He's the creator who's created. His creation is his first work that we see. Number two is found in Exodus 32. The first time the phrase works of God is used, the, the phrase itself I found is in Exodus 32. Exodus chapter 32 and verse 16, the Bible says, And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And for context's sake, uh, we'll back up to verse 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides, on the one side and on the other were they written, and the tables were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. So we have Moses coming down from the mount with what? He's got the law. God has just given him the law for the children of Israel. He comes down from the mount, and God tells us it is the work of God. So the word of God is our second work. The word of God is the work of God. This book in my hand is the 
work of God. Preserved, protected, translated so that we could have it in English. God has this perfect, infallible, inerrant book right here preserved for us today. That, that's exciting when you think about it. God protected and preserved His Word so that we could have it. That's another one of His works. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we see... I've got several verses in my head. I don't want to misquote it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect... Throughly furnished unto all good works. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture. Not just the New Testament. Not just the Psalms. Not just the Proverbs. All scripture. Even Chronicles. I preached a message out of Chronicles on Sunday. There's stuff in there for you. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means that every time I open this book, I get to hear from God. How exciting is that? That we get to hear from God. When you sit down to do your devotions and you pray to God, you talk to Him. He hears what you have to say. But then you sit down and you open your Bible and you start reading and God gets to talk to you. What a blessing is that? That the God of heaven would want to talk to me. Who am I? I'm no one. In the sight of an almighty God, I am no one. And yet God wants to talk to me. God's given me his own copy of his word for me. And he's given it to you. And yet, we don't praise him for it. We won't even take the time to read it. We won't even take the time to study it so that we know what it says. But shouldn't we praise him for this instruction manual on life that he gave to us? I mean, there's principles throughout the the word of God that tell us how we can live our lives, how we ought to live our lives, to better ourselves, to be better people. Do you remember what you were before you were saved? Do you remember that wretched old sinner? For me, I remember that angry, wicked sinner I was, that angry, hateful teenager I was. I remember who that person was. I remember hating myself. I remember having a hole in my heart. And God filled that. God did something about that. And I get to hear from Him when I open this book. So why am I not more excited about it? Why don't I praise Him more? He's given me His Word so I can know Him. And I don't take advantage of it. We don't take advantage of it. We get home from church, leave it on the coffee table, and go get dinner. Get up in the morning, eat breakfast, go to work, come home, had a rough day. I got a bad attitude. I had a rough day. I'll get over it. Getting angry and angry all the time. Irritated. Everything irritates me. I'm mad about everything. I couldn't sleep last night. Not really. I I slept just fine. (laughs) My wife, on the other hand, may not have. But what are we doing? We've got the word of God 
right here at our fingertips. And we, we abandon it. We misuse it. We abuse it. We don't care what it says. We don't apply it to our lives. We don't study it. The Bible was, yes, written by man, but it was penned by God. I said that backwards. The Bible was, yes, penned by man, but it was written by God. 2 Peter 120. 2 Peter 1.20. The Bible says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Let me say that again. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by man. No, by the Holy Ghost. They were moved by God, and so they wrote down the words of God. And now I get to read them. In my language. I don't have to learn Greek to understand what God says. I don't have to learn Hebrew to understand what God said in the Old Testament. He's preserved His Word and He's given it to us. And we disregard it. What's wrong with us? I'll tell you what's wrong. We're not praising God. We've forgotten all those things that He's done for us. We've forgotten all those things He's protected us from. And so we neglect His Word. We don't praise His work, the Word of God. goes a step further. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. He not just created His Word and gave it to us. He became man for me and for you. He lived a perfect, sinless life so that we could have the other work that He has. His redemptive work. See, God's work didn't stop at creation. The moment Adam sinned in the garden, God had another work to do. Immediately, God started trying to redeem man from their sin, trying to buy them back from the world so that he could have a relationship with them. His third work is the redemption of God. Like I said, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God began immediately, that moment, trying to reconcile man back to him. Trying to make things right because Adam's not the only one that lost out. Eve's not the only one that lost out. God lost out on fellowship with us. That's what he wants. Not that we have anything to offer, but he wants that. He wants fellowship with us. He wants fellowship with you. He wanted fellowship with Adam. And Adam sinned against him. And when Adam sinned, he became unholy. He was no longer innocent. And so God had to make atonement for him. And the first thing he does is Adam tries to cover his sin his way. 
He gets the fig leaves together. He tries to cover his nakedness. And God's like, whoa, I don't need to see that. I'm going to show you what we need to do to make this right. And so God, in his wisdom, sacrifices two lambs and makes a coat. I, I don't know if it's two lambs. This is what came out of my mouth. He's made a sacrifice and made coats for Adam and Eve to have so that they would be covered. Their sin was covered. Their shame was covered. In that moment, when man fell, he began trying to redeem man. God used an, a, a lamb in Genesis 3. I want to make sure I'm not telling false things here. Nevertheless, it goes good with my illustration. I'm just kidding. That just says coats of skins. Okay, coats of skins. Either way, an animal had to be sacrificed for Adam to be redeemed to God. For Adam to be able to be before God again, an animal had to be slain. Those coats of skins were given to him. And then later on, Moses, when he was given the law in the work of God, the word, he was told to sacrifice a lamb as a sin offering. And that lamb was nothing but a picture. It was a picture of what was to come. Because the law, as Galatians 3 teaches us, is but a schoolmaster. The law was in place to teach us simply that we're sinners and to point us to Christ. It was to teach us that I can do no good. I can't be perfect. I can try and I can strive, but compared to the law, if I had to be right, if, if in order to be right with God, I had to keep the law, I couldn't do it. No man could do it. If they could, why would Christ have to die? Christ never would have died for us if we could do it on our own. God knew that. So he sent Christ. He sent the word of God to become flesh, to dwell among us, to live as a man, to be tempted as man is, and then to die as a man for your sins and for mine. And yet we don't praise him for that? 33 years of his life he lived and died for you and for me. And we can't take the time to praise him for it he tells us to constantly in the New Testament to praise Him, to let His life be lived through us. He tells us to be crucified with Him. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. We know the verse, but we don't live the verse. We don't live a crucified life. We don't live like God died for us. Let me say that again. We don't live like the God of heaven died for us. I don't think it's going over very well. I don't think we live like God died for us. We take him for granted too often. Do we not realize what God's done? 
When you're sitting there on Saturday morning wondering if you're going to go to soul winning, do you not realize what God's done? Not our pastor, what God has done. What God has done. Your creator, that guy, the guy that created you, he gave his life for us. And we can't roll out of bed to go soul winning. We can't get up earlier to read our Bibles. We can't spend 10 minutes in prayer. He died for you. And He died for me. Does that mean nothing to us? He gave His life. Why can't I give Him mine? Because I don't praise Him. Because I'm not thinking about what He's done for me. I'm not meditating on His Word. I'm not thinking about what He did for me. We have the redemption of God. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. Would you turn there? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 says, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. God died to pay for our sins to obtain eternal redemption. Not, not redemption that will go away if you sin. Eternal redemption. By the very definition of the word eternal, it never ends. It goes on. There's nothing I can do to make it stop. It doesn't stop. It's an eternal redemption. And God has redeemed us. God has given us salvation that no matter what I do, because I will sin against Him, I can be right with Him. I can be reconciled to God. Verse 24 says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. God died once. He made that sacrifice once. Before he made it, he had to make it often. He'd go before God all the time saying, Brother Dean made his sin offering this year, just so you know, Lord. He's right with you. His, his blood's covered. Now it's not every year. Now it's at the end of your life you get before God, and God looks at you, and all he sees is the blood of Jesus covering your sins. He's become the propitiation of our sins. He's covering our sins. He's taking care of it. He's redeemed us. So we ought to praise Him for that. Is He not worthy of our praise? If you want to keep your vows to God, you want to keep those commitments you make here at the altar, then you have to praise God. You have to praise God for the creation that He's made. For the Word that He's given us. For His redemptive work. 
And finally, for the good work of God. Turn to Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of, of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God created us. God gave us his word to live by. God gave us his son to redeem us. And now he works in us until the day of his return. Until the day that I return to God, he's working in me. I am a good work. You are a good work. God has a work he's still doing. And it's us. It's the church. It's the bride of Christ. He's still working. Is he not? You pray to God, you ask Him to do something in your life, and He meets your needs. He provides for you. Does He not? If He's not, it's probably because you're not asking Him to. And that's on you. Because if you, you... You have not because you ask not. I won't even give you my wisdom. I'll give you His. You have not because you ask not. God's still working in us. He's preparing us for that day that He returns. He's preparing us so that when Christ comes back, we can be presented to Him. Will we be ready? Will, be, will we be ready to be presented to Christ? Will we be holy when God returns? Will we be in our place when He returns? The day of, of Jesus Christ is not that vengeful day of the Lord. It, it's the rapture. It's when He comes back for us, the church. It's His day. It's not the day that He establishes His throne, but it's the day that He gets His bride, the church. Will you be ready that day? God works to sanctify us now. God works to make us holy and right with Him. But are we allowing Him to? Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you say, I'm trying to do all the right things. The Bible says God will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Things may get hard, and they do. But God says he's going to keep working until you give up. Is that what the Bible says? That's not what the Bible says. God said he's going to keep working until he returns for you. Until it's your time to go back to Him. God's working in us. Is that not exciting? I don't think we're excited. I think we already forgot the first point. The Creator, the God of heaven, is working in me. He's working in you. He wants you to be holy like He is holy. And He's working in your life to make it that way. The God of heaven, the Creator of the universe, who is holy and just and righteous and merciful and long-suffering and patient with us, wants a relationship with us. He wants us. He wants us. That's all He wants. I was reading just last night in Isaiah, and God says to Isaiah, I don't want their burnt offerings and sacrifices. I'm sick of it. Why? Because their hearts were not with God. He said, cleanse yourselves. 
Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as though your sins be red like crimson, they shall be. I'm messing it up. Though your sins be as scarlet, be crim. Yes, thank you, Holy Spirit. They shall be as white as snow. God just wants us to get right with Him. He wants us to praise Him. To put Him in the position He deserves to be in in our life. So, my question that God asked me, He said, will you praise me? And now I ask you the question, will you praise Him? That you may daily perform your vows. That you may keep the commitments that God and you have made one to another. Will you praise him? It's such a sweet thing to walk with, with Christ. And the more I do it, the more I want to do it. The more I want to do it, the more I love doing it. And the more I love doing it, the more I love him. And the easier it gets. I said the easier it gets to keep my vows because our relationship is right. And when our relationship is right, when I'm walking with God like I should, I have a desire to do those things that him and I have discussed. I have a desire to please him. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that believeth in him must believe that he is. That he is what? No, that he is. That he is God the creator. That he did give us this word. That he did die for our sins. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that God that died for your sins is your creator? Do you believe that he's given you this book so that you can live by it? Do you believe that he died for you? And that he saved you from your sin and now he's working on you? Do you believe that? Because if you do, then we ought to praise him. He deserves nothing less. The angels know to praise God in heaven because they're near him. They sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, because they're near him. They know God. They see who he is. And they know to praise him. Do we? Do I? Commend God daily for the things he has done and the things he is doing. He's still working in us and he hasn't given up. He's still trying to perfect us. Will you allow him? Will you praise him today by coming to an altar and just saying, thank you, God. Thank you for all that you've done and all that you are doing in my life. Thank you for the blessings you've given to me. Thank you for the family I have, the home I have, the food I have the clothes I have. Thank you, God, for what you've given to me. Will you thank him? And then will you tell others what he's done for you? Has God not given us life and life more abundantly? Father, we come to you. And we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to 
to praise you, Lord. Father, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Who am I, Lord, that you want to walk with me? But God, you do. And not only do you want to walk with me, you want to bless me. You want to bless your people, which are called by your name. And I pray that you would help us to thank you. Help us to praise you, that we can keep our commitments to you. Lord, I, I want to be right with you. I want my commitments to be kept. And so, Lord, I'm going to work at praising you. As the piano begins to play, won't you come? <laughs>